Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. Palm Sunday, the day when Jesus Christ decided to show the whole world that he was good. You know, before Palm Sunday, Jesus was keeping a lot of his miracles, like the one we're going to hear about today, secret. He was going from town to town. He was doing things in the privacy of homes, in the privacy of of lakes and, and wilderness, trying to keep things on the down low, if you will. But one Palm Sunday occurred. He walked, rode, spoke in Jerusalem about who he really is. So what is the deal with this whole superhero Sunday? What is the deal with with this? This is supposed to be about Jesus, and you're talking about superheroes. Are you crazy, Pastor Sean? Yeah, definitely. I am definitely a little crazy. But that has nothing to do with the fact that I love God, and I want to make sure that we experience him in every way possible. So what we do is we believe that once upon a time, Jesus, like this, came on a donkey, He came into Jerusalem. He came to acknowledge that he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, the Jewish people at that time, the people of Israel, they were under occupation. They were under stress. They were under government oppression. And they expected the the reign of the line of David, the next king, to rise up and to take over and to therefore kick the government out and take over and make it a holy nation. And Jesus, they all thought, was that king. He was the superhero. He was the one who walked on water. He was the one who healed the blind, healed the deaf. He was the one who raised those from the dead. He was the one who turned water into wine, empty basket into a meal. By all definitions and accounts, he was a superhero. He put his hand out and he said, peace be still to the winds and the weather. And the disciples said, even Even the winds obey this man. He was a superhero. So when he came into Jerusalem, they expected him to do super heroic things. Right? Like, I don't know, Grayson said, they expected him, I don't know, to fly into Jerusalem. He's on a donkey. It's called the triumphant entry. And we are remembered of all the superheroes in our community, all the superheroes that we loft up in our minds, first with the ones from our cartoon characters and comic books, and therefore our kids can remember that there's a superhero far greater than Superman or Batman or Spider-Man. It's that of Jesus Christ. We sing the songs, we teach our kids about it. We're back in the rooms now talking about all types of unlikely superheroes, like Gideon, who was a man of fear that God called a mighty man of valor. This is what God does. He takes the unclean and he makes it clean. He takes the unlikely hero and makes him a superhero. And that's why we celebrate this on Palm Sunday. Plus, it gets all the kids involved. It gets them really excited. And we are all about the kids and getting excited. Amen? Amen. So if you will now, I want to turn to, I'm going to get it right this time, Mark chapter 5. It says Mark. Last week, I was preaching on this, and I didn't get finished. I'm going to continue today. And I said, Matthew, and I'm sure everyone was like, he's not even preaching the Bible. None of the words are even in this Bible. And then we realized it was Mark. Um, So if you want to turn with me to Mark chapter chapter 5, 
I want to pray. Why do I keep praying? You hear me pray a lot. Pray before service, during service, the middle service. While I'm preaching, I pray. Because we believe that church should have worship, it should have word, and it should have warfare. That means prayer. We should be praying to God in the spirit realm, recognizing that there's things that go unseen and that he needs to prepare our heart for this world and protect us, provide for us, and turn us into something far greater than we ever could on our own. Prayer is important. I need to say this, and I don't know why. This has popped in my head. It's not something I think about. I'm a very um, apolitical person. I don't talk about politics. I, it's just not something I spend a lot of my time on because I like to focus on what God is saying to me and to this church. But I heard somebody recently say, it's not enough just to have your prayers. I don't even know the context they were saying it, and it doesn't matter. When we're a country that literally thinks it's not enough to have your prayers, we have missed the boat altogether. And please don't misunderstand. I'm not suggesting that we don't need to use our stewardship in finances and government and authority to do the right thing and to serve others and to help those who need the help the most. Yes, but one of the ways we can do that, one of the best ways we can change lives is through prayer. Amen? I believe prayer changes things, and if we got more serious about prayer, if we knew how to pray, and we did it more regularly, things would be very different than they are now, which is why we are starting a prayer room, a full, legitimate, no-joke prayer room. It's right back there, and we're starting it up in, in the weeks to follow here, and we expect you guys to come and be a part of that and experience prayer outside of the sanctuary. So, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray right this minute, I come to you, and I bow before you. Father God, I pray right now that we would focus on you. And how do we do that, Lord? I pray that you would speak to us about our own lives and allow us to have more of you. I pray, Lord, that you would get us to a place where it's not more entertainment we need. Father God, where it's, it's not more distraction that we need or more money that we need or more chemicals that we need. Father God, I pray that it is more of you that we need. I pray, Lord God, that you would get down into our hearts today, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing, prepare our seeds and our lives. Father, I pray you get down into our homes today, our marriages and our children and our relationships. Father, I pray you get down into our careers and our job places today. Father, I pray you get down into our government today. Father, I pray you get down into our schools today. Father, I pray you get down into every area of our community today. Father, I pray you get down in there and you get in there deep. Father, because we pray in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. amen. Okay, so the story goes, and I'm just going to read it real quick. How many of you actually went home and read Mark chapter 5, verse 22 on? Anybody? We have one. Too. I know Bill did because he was the one who texted me this week said so exactly what verse is it I want to read it thank you brother Bill but here you know I tell you does that make brother Bill better than anybody or more special no but I know one reason that brother Bill texted me that because brother Bill has his wife in the hospital and brother Bill is seeking for God desperately to intervene and so you know what he's doing he's turning to the word of God and that's what the story is about when we get desperate we tend to see God a little bit differently so let's read. It's on verse 22 onward. I'm reading from the NLT, so it sounds more like a story, and that's on purpose. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, he arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter, she's dying, he said. 
Please, please come lay your hands on her. Heal her. It's the only way that she can live. Verse 24, Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him, probably waiting to see what he was going to do. This girl was going to die. Is he going to help her? Maybe she's already dead. Then what is he going to do? Verse 25, but then a woman in the crowd, she too had suffered, suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay for them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. Verse 28, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once the healing power had gone out of him, so he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, mockingly so, look at this crowd pressing around you. Everyone is everywhere. How could you possibly ask who touched you, Jesus? Insinuating everybody touched him. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then it frightened the woman, trembling at the realization of what had just happened to her. So she came and fell too at Jesus' knees in front of him and told him what she had done. In verse 34, she says, or Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus. Remember the reason he was going. The leader of the synagogue. They told him, I'm sorry, but your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher anymore. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Keep your faith. Just have faith. Verse 37, Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and said, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Little girl, Get up. And the little girl, who was just 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. This is an amazing story. It's an amazing story. The reason I picked this story is because it's a story of resurrection. There's a few of these stories of resurrection in Scripture, 10 in total, three of them by Jesus. This is one of those. This is a story that's often called the woman with the issue of blood, or sometimes called the politician's daughter. It's what I call tale of two sides. There's one story, but there's two sides of it going on. The side of the rich ruler and the side of the poor young woman. The sides of two daughters. The daughter who is dying, who Jesus is going to, but taking his time. And the daughter who's been suffering for 12 years. The one daughter was born the same day this woman started bleeding. And now this daughter is passing away the same day Jesus comes into contact with her. It's an interesting story, lots of sides of this story. And, and many of you know, as you tell any story, there's multiple sides of the story, usually two sides. So you try to weigh through and get the truth. Last week, last week, 
we harped on one very specific point. We said, when would we see a situation like this? Well, here's a situation. Now, that's not Jesus, in case you're wondering. But that is a crowd very similar to the one of that time. Very similar probably to the crowd at the triumphant entry in Jerusalem. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, there's probably a crowd much like this. At that time, when Jesus went and was going to the politician's house, there was probably a crowd much like this. That, in the center, is the Pope. And he is coming through, I, I don't know, a major metropolis, and he's got all his people around him, and he's in a car to protect him, and he's going through, and they're, they're waving at him. And last week, we talked about being part of the crowd, being just onlookers, and the difference between the people in the story. So there's two sides of the story. There's all the people in the story who just watch Jesus, and then there are the two people in the story who experienced Jesus. In order to experience them, they had to approach Jesus and come boldly and yet humbly. They had to expect big things from him, and yet they did, despite their fear and apprehension. And of all the people in the crowd, two of them pressed through. Two of them got to him. I want to ask you this question as we open up this sermon. What is in your way today, right now? What is in your way of experiencing Jesus Christ. What's blocking you? It's holding you back from experiencing Jesus Christ. I know many of you care about Jesus. I know many of you love Jesus. I know many of you want to be around Jesus. Like all these people, you came to church today. Obviously, you're interested. Onlookers, though. Bystanders. The crowd. Now, it's pretty obvious from the scripture, I don't even have to get into much theology to say, I know one thing that's in most of your way, other people. People are in your way. Now, literally, there was people in the way, you had to push people out of the way to get to Jesus. But in our lives, people are in the way. Our brothers and our sisters, our, our, our family members. For some of you, it may even be previous pastors or previous ministers or someone who's done you harm. Are they in your way from experiencing Jesus? Some of you... It's the system. Back then, there was a system. If you were unclean, you could not come towards Jesus. If you were diseased, infected, or if you were bleeding, you could not be around the holy people. You were considered unclean. There was a system, a set of rules, a government in place. And yet this woman pushed through that system to get to Jesus. How many of you are inflicted by our system? And I know many are. Our system is not perfect. State and local, federal, community, schools, it's not perfect. And there are many systems out there to keep you down. No doubt. Most of our systems ignore or press God out of it. How many of you are being restrained by your system to get to Christ? Or confidence. Some of you are willing to say, yes, I love Jesus and I'll put these people out of my life, these experiences out of my life, my, my you know, upbringing out of my life. I'll push through all that, but you lack the confidence to boldly come to Christ. That is what this story is about, and that's what we want to get into. I want you to think in your head as I preach just a little bit here. I want you to think what's holding you back. I look at it like this. You are a powerful man or woman of God. You have been reborn. You have been put in a place where God has something better for you and you begin to march on in this world every morning and yet something has got you. 
this ribbon, this tape, this, 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 this power is holding you back. Do you feel that way this morning? Some of you may say, no, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Sean. I feel great. I'm here at church. I, I feel some goosebumps. The music was good. The lighting was perfect. We're about to do communion. It's good stuff. Then I ask you, who have you last told about Christ? Oh, I don't, we don't, yeah. I, I, Pastor, you do the talking about Christ. Who have you last prayed for? Well, you know, we pray in church. Or for those of you who do pray, when has God answered your prayer and you've testified on it? You see, if you're going to experience Christ, then he's going to experience you. He's going to show up big time in your life. And there's not enough testimonies going on at Kingsway. Yeah, there are some miracles in spots here and here. And I give God all the glory for it. But I say, God, we have 130 people who walk through those doors every week. I should be seeing 130 miracles. And not enough of them. There's not enough. So what is holding us back? And before you think I'm going to jump right to the end and just say, sin, we're all sinners. Well, let's get over it. We all are sinners. We have all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's no better person here, no pastor or minister, volunteer or otherwise, who somehow has more access to God than someone else. No, we all do. It's why we're all sitting here reading the word the same way. I shared the verses the same way, the same story. No, most of you have given your heart to the Lord. Most of you have asked Christ to forgive you of your sin. And this is where this story begins. At that moment, what do you do? Because see, this woman, she was unclean. That's what they told her. She was bleeding. Even during the monthly cycle of a woman, they're considered unclean. They're not allowed to be in the chapel. They're not allowed to be in the synagogue. They're not allowed to be around priests or even their husband back then. This woman was bleeding for 12 years. She was an outcast. Her family couldn't eat her food. She couldn't get them ready for school. All she could do was go to doctors, pay all her money, and find out to no avail. And now she's broke, probably on the street somewhere. Everyone telling her she's unclean. You're unclean. You're unclean. She knows she's living an upright life. She knows she, she wants to honor God, but they're telling her she's unclean. And she knows that if she comes to this crowd, that she may actually be stoned to death. She's risking her life. Do you hear that? I mean, I can't imagine as she's falling over to try to touch the hem of his garment, as she's doing that, she may be even thinking in that last moment, it says, if I could just touch his, if I could just touch him, if I could just, I can imagine she's thinking, if I don't touch him and I hit this ground, they may trample me. And that will be the end. So many of us go through life thinking our past has made us so unclean that we aren't willing or able to come to church. We shouldn't be at church. We should maybe just come once or twice. But we're so unclean that no way God could love us. No way God could help us. You can't imagine what we have done. This woman was in such a situation and no thought of her own. But she was able to get to Jesus and she touched Jesus. And that encounter allowed her to experience Jesus. Let's go with unacceptable. You see, she was unacceptable in that community. She was unacceptable around the priests who were all following. She was unacceptable. And so in one sense, she had no idea how to approach Jesus. She didn't know the right way. She didn't know the right words. She didn't know the right verses. She didn't know exactly what to wear. Are you following me, church? You see, church isn't about what you wear. It isn't about what you say. It isn't about having all the right stuff in order. Well, why are you all dressed up, pastor? I'm dressed up for one reason and one reason only. Try to get my wife's attention. I think it's working. 
That's it. You wear an orange shirt on Easter, you pull it off. Anyway, what I'm trying to explain to you is she didn't know how to do it. So she said, I don't care. I'll just touch him. I'll run right up. I'll push through the crowd. I'll march through the greeters. I'll go through worship. I'll just go right to Christ and say, here I am. That's the God we serve. And the moment it happened, the power went out of Jesus. Oh, you say, that's kind of weird. Then he turned around and called her out. Why did he do that? He did that for a very important reason. He would not take, he would not lose the opportunity to make sure she knows that his cloak, his clothes, his body has no special power. Can't just touch Jesus and something happen. It is Jesus Christ who is God. He is the power. So he turned around and said, daughter, daughter. That's what he's saying to each and every one of you who think you're unclean, who think you don't know the right way, who feel unacceptable in church today. He's saying, you are my son. You are my daughter. How about giving up? You see, we have these excuses that hold us back. We just need to give up. We've tried 12 years, and I still can't. I can't get anything out of the Bible. I don't understand it. I spent 12 years going to church, and I never understood it. I spent 12 years in ministry, and I never got the role I wanted. I spent 12 years, and they never asked me on the worship team. I spent 12 years raising my kid, and, and I still don't know how to be a good parent, etc., etc., etc. All these excuses run through our mind all the time. And Satan is saying, just give up. What if this woman gave up? What if this woman gave up? Too dire, perhaps? Maybe the situation is just too dire. I hear this all the time. It's crazy. Well, look, it's, I got a serious issue, so I'm going to go to the doctor's. Okay, I have no problem with the doctors. We love medicine. We think it's a gift from God. We hope that you would go to the doctors. But what's going to happen when you go to the doctors, you get the treatment, you get the medicine, and you're not getting any better. Then what are you going to do? Well, then, then, then I'll come to church. So it's too dire to come to church first. You're going to see what the doctors have to say, just like this woman, and then you'll come to church. Look, God wants to do miracles in your life. And there may be 149 people here that don't have the faith and the authority and the the hope to ask for it. But you may. You may be too poor, you say. This woman was a beggar. She was the most poor among the crowd. There's no one here that is too poor in spirit or in finances. I can't imagine what she was wearing. I can't imagine how she smelled. Money does not answer anything. In fact, more money, as you're going to see with this next guy, can maybe cause a problem. You can actually be too rich. What do you mean? Well, we can have all the discussions about stewardship and income and finances and wealth and all the troubles that come along with it. Here's a perfect example. This ruler here, he was a very wealthy man. He was in a community of other wealthy men. That's where he got his money from. And in that community, in this politician political circle that he was in, you would not associate with Jesus. Jesus was considered the enemy. And so by him saying, I'm going to associate with Jesus, I'm going to have a conversation with Jesus, I'm going to take advice from Jesus, he's effectively handing in his resignation. Why didn't he do this earlier? Well, he didn't do it earlier because he makes too much money. Certainly, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get my doctors, and I'm going to get my people to help me, and I'm going to pay all the greatest and the best. And when all of that was exhausted, he said, the money doesn't matter. I'm going to go to Jesus. And he went and asked Jesus, expecting Jesus would do something for him. Too impossible, you may say. Is this what's holding you back? Is something in your life just too impossible? A job situation? 
a kid situation, an addiction situation? What is holding you back from Christ today? Because the two impossible was all over this story. No doctor could heal the 12-year-old daughter. It was impossible. She was on her deathbed. No doctor could heal the woman with the issue of blood. She literally was suffering to the point of almost death. Those situations are too impossible. Wouldn't you come to the one person you could do anything about it? Jesus Christ. Or how about this? You may say, too late. You may say, it's just too late. That's, I've spent too much time. My situation is now past the point of no return. This daughter was dead. They came to her and said, your daughter has died. There's no one in here that is too late to accept and experience Jesus Christ. If you don't know who Jesus is today, you are spiritually dead. And Jesus is in the business of resurrecting. You know, I like to think about it like this. There's a part of this story here that I think is important. There's this concept, the thread, if you will, that's going through this whole story about time. You see, the man who needed his daughter to get help, it was an urgent request. My daughter's dying right now. If you don't help my daughter right now, she's going to die. Urgency. And yet Jesus didn't run off to go help her. He walked through the crowd meeting other people's needs. On the other hand, you have a woman who's been dealing with her issue for 12 years, a long time, and he'd stopped to deal with her issue as if it was more urgent. I want you to think about that for a second. The way I like to say this is, are you willing to accept a temporary loss for an eternal gain? You see, there's temporary losses all in our lives. Every day we go in, we expect something great and something wonderful to happen, but we experience these losses. Something happens to our car, something happens to our home, something happens at our job, these losses. And these losses begin to stack up and you wonder, man, is life just going the wrong way for me? Or are you willing to say, you know what? Jesus is answering my prayer, but he's doing it in an eternal way, not an immediate way. And in these cases, this woman went through 12 years of temporary loss before she got her answer. This man, his daughter actually died before Jesus was able to do what he had to do. But you see, that was all by his plan. He is willing to pour into your life in an eternal way, far greater than he will in an immediate today way. You see, if we get so focused on what's happening today, we'll lose sight of what's happening tomorrow. Are you following me, church? Are you following me, church? You see, Patience is going to be important when you're looking at this story. And so many of us, we talk about prayer, and I believe God can do things instantly, and he has healed people instantly. Why does he heal some instantly and some later? I don't know. But he does require us to pray for both, and that's what we do. He says this woman is sleeping. Why? What does it mean she's sleeping? Clearly she was dead. Because he's trying to tell us when it comes to time, many of us are asleep. Many of us are being held back. Here, let me put it this way. When you die in this world, when the doctor pronounces you dead, you're going to wake up the next second. Your next breath will be in heaven. You see, this world is a temporary death. We wake up in heaven. We are actually just asleep in this world until we are alive in heaven, walking around with him. That is what he's saying. The scriptures talk about when we wake up in heaven, all of us are asleep just to a different degree. And I pray right now, I pray that you sleeping giants, you in this church, you in this church who know ministry, who should be in ministry, who are well-skilled, well-talented, well-invested in, well-seasoned, well-blessed, well-trained, those who God has spoke so much into your life 
that aren't in ministry today, I pray God wakes you up. Because all of us will wake up one day and he will say, daughter, son, well done. That's what I hope. That is my prayer. I hope that we recognize that today before we wait to the very last day. Amen? Amen. Okay, so I'm wrapping up here because we're about to do communion. And the, the main point here is pretty simple. Clear your path. Clear your path. People in your way to get to Jesus, relationships, family, friends, uh, people at work, people in your circles, clear your path. Find a way. Push through them. Get to Jesus. When I gave my heart to Jesus, I lost all of my friends. All of my friends. How to get all new friends. In college, when I committed to Christ, none of the people wanted to spend time with me. I had to get all new friends. Clear your path today. He is willing to help you clear your path. He is willing to help you cut the cord of what's holding you back. Whether it's people, whether it's confidence, whether it's excuses. But I know one thing for sure. As I've ministered and counseled many of you and, and others in church, I've learned one thing categorically for sure. The one person I know for a fact that's holding you back is you. 100% sure. You are holding yourself back. And to make this point very clear, I want to say it like this because the story does a wonderful job of it. Some people are walking through this world, Christians, some of us maybe, as if we have two lives to live. Think about that. You're walking through life as if you have another life to live. Oh, I'll get to that later. I'll, I'll minister later. I'll pray later. I'll worship later. I'll go to church later. I'll, I'll, I'll pursue God more later. What's all this later? As if, as if there's some new life you're going to wake up one day and later's going to happen? You have one life to live. And these people in this situation realized after Jesus intervened in their life that they were so happy for the life they had to live that they were going to live it in the fullest church you have one life it is this one are you going to let the crowd be the example and you just watch church around you watch things happen around you or are you going to get involved and are you going to experience Christ the verse I want to leave you with is this one it's in Isaiah 43 it says forget the former things do not dwell on your past see I am doing a new thing now it springs up. Don't you see it? Church, don't you see what he's doing in your life? It's not your past that's dictating it. It's your future. God is trying to transform you. But he requires you to experience him. And it says you're having trouble clearing your path? I will make a way in the desert. I will make streams in the wasteland. Christ is begging you to stop holding back. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today.